Hey friends, welcome to the Sacred Story Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Wilcox, and I'm so glad you're here. During this time, we carve out sacred space to reflect on our God-authored stories, to hear from women in the chapters of their stories, and to think about God's greater story around the world. I'm excited to introduce ordinary yet brave women who are declaring God's faithfulness. I'm honored to be on the journey with you. Here's this week's episode. Hi, friends. Today on the Sacred Story Podcast, we have an awesome sister in Christ who has followed God and uh, in her story, even when it took unexpected turns and it has taken her to unexpected places. So I'm so excited to introduce to you a fellow sister who I know you're going to be encouraged by. Stephanie, welcome to the Sacred Story Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. I'm so excited to be sharing a little bit with you today and uh, to get to be praying with you today. And what a joy. I know we've been anticipating this conversation. And one of the reasons why it's a, a little bit harder to get this conversation um, you know, in, mo- in motion is that you actually live over in Athens, Greece. Yes, that's true. And I have been very difficult to schedule with. Thanks for being so well, patient with me. <laughs> we've got eight hour difference and then we've got, yeah, communication and all of that. So I so appreciate you taking out time. I know uh, it's the afternoon in Greece right now. and It's the morning in, um, over here in the United States. So let's go back before Greece. And we're going to get to that because I love how you're serving God's greater story around the world. But tell us a little bit about how you came to faith. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up, I was born and raised in Houston, Texas, and um, I grew up in a home uh, with incredible believers as parents. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't think I ever missed a Sunday of church in my life. Uh, and uh, I was baptized when I was seven or eight years old and, and just kind of grew up in the, the Southern church world. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think I had a really a, a real personal deep connection with God, probably on my first short term mission trip, which I went on when I was in high school, um, and then I kind of wandered away from the Lord, and then really found Him and made Him my King in college. Okay, so I've heard some of your story, obviously, and so I remember you saying that your college years were really significant, and you met. Aaron, who was a friend, who later you would marry. Tell a little bit about that part of your story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I met I met Aaron um, when we started college together. And uh, yeah, we were just friends. We kept running into each other at different opportunities to serve and do ministry, um, both on campus, but especially off campus. So, you know, through a friend of a friend, um, I would be serving at another ministry at another church, wouldn't know anyone there. And I would show up and Aaron would be there. And so for years, our friendship was kind of like this, where we just ran into each other at um, ministry things. Yeah. Okay. And so then how did it blossom into romance? Oh, this is a great question. Um, We had uh, actually, I think in 2013, um, we both in totally separate capacities had gone to India um, to serve. And so Aaron had been serving in India probably six or seven years by that point, every year for about three to six months. And um, I went to go teach at a school, totally different area of India. And um, at one point we were supposed to actually meet together and start serving together. And so uh, after 
after that, I think our friendship really, um, obviously, you know, leveled up in a sense because we were really serving in some of the same places. And um, I had known for years, Aaron's desire was to be in the field full time. And um, I really respected his love for God and passion to serve people. Um, yeah. So I think that was 2013. And I think we started dating, you know, at the end of 2015. So by then we had started working together at the same church. Um, I knew he was still really involved in international missions. I, at that point, felt really convicted that um, the Lord was calling me to go overseas. Um, yeah. And, and we had uh, different directions. We thought God was calling us. I really wanted to be in Latin America and he still felt really called to India. And obviously we ended up in neither of those places. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 I love that. I love how God intertwined your heart for the world. And so how did he lead y'all to serve in Athens? Well, um, we had, uh, we had finally started dating and, um, I guess a lot of our friends uh, anticipated that we would get together and no one had told me. So, um, <laughs> we've been, they saw it coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I was praying really that, um, the Lord would, um, change my heart to be willing to go to India. Aaron had this very clear mission and calling, it almost seemed like, uh, to be in India. And so um, I was praying that God would change my heart. And uh, it ended up that uh, we went to India together and I went and got to serve in the same village that he was serving in, meet a lot of his key people and came back and just still didn't have any peace. And so mm. both of us separately were just kind of praying, you know, Lord, where are you leading us? And we didn't, we didn't have a ton of healthy conversations or anything about it. We were just kind of privately, separately praying. And I started to hear in my personal time with the Lord, Greece, then Germany, Greece, then Germany. And I had really, you know, never even considered Europe, did not have mm -hmm. a ton of information about the refugee crisis at that time, um, but just yeah. kept hearing over and over. And so about I think for me, it was about six months of just hearing the Lord whisper this to me, you know, just in my spirit. And mm. I, um, and then a, a friend at the agency that we're at, we knew that, um, you know, she was going in and out of Europe and, and would ask us to pray for her from time to time. And so she just called us and Aaron and I were in the same place and she just happened to share, you know, I just got back from Greece and I think this will be the first place we need to set up a team. So if you guys can just be praying for who it is that God is raising up to come to Greece. And that was really the first time for me after six months of just like wondering what this Greece thing meant um, mm -hmm. that I heard this opportunity. And before I could answer, though, Aaron responded and he said, uh, I, you know, friend, you're not going to believe this, but I think God has been telling me for the last four months Greece and then Germany. And I almost passed out because I don't think we'd ever agreed <laughs> like bet. that before. Um, but yeah, the Lord was so gracious and good to us to just slowly invite both of us um, as, as faithful servants, as ministers to join into the work in Greece and then to really invite us as this young married couple uh, to step mm -hmm. into that work too. So yeah, I'm really grateful for that. Right. Because I know that you all were married and then you left several months later, right? For Athens. Yeah. So I, that conversation happened. I think we had just gotten engaged within a few weeks before that conversation with uh, <laughs> this friend at our agency. And uh, so, yeah, we, um, we got our offer letter from the agency about 
five or six days before our actual wedding. So we went on our honeymoon, came back and started support raising right away. Um, and then we spent a few months support raising and then we were in the field, um, I think a couple weeks after our one year wedding anniversary. I admire that about you all, <laughs> that, you know, you were just um, ready to go. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I think a little bit of it was just, there was this momentum, you know, like our new life was starting and we just thought we'd do yeah. all of the hard things at once. Um, right. But, right. You uh, moved to another country. <laughs> yeah, just all at the same time. But I, I am grateful for the Lord's timing in that too, that that um, taking these huge steps of obedience, that, you know, the most mm-hmm. blindly faithful things I think I've ever done. Um, the mm. Lord gave me a really faithful partner to do that with. So, yeah, I'm really grateful. Yes, and amen. So what barriers did you face to following him to Athens and how did you personally overcome them? Um, coming to Athens itself, I think um, it felt exciting, you know, on the front end. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, a few months after being in the field, I think I realized the cost of the sacrifice that we'd made, you know, to really be far from all my friends and, and their husbands. And now they're all having kids. And so just kind of missing that community. And then of course, being away from our own families um, and from just the community of believers we were really invested in, in, um, in Houston. We really, we really miss Houston. I really miss Houston. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is a sacrifice. And like you said, sometimes you don't know until you're, in that experience because you've never been that far away and right. Yeah. And, and traveling, I had done, you know, a lot of short term, uh, stuff, but, um, you just always knew you were coming back home and then to really, it took me a while to really feel like, okay, now Greece is my home. And that Mm -hmm. shift of like really moving my roots from one place to another is, um, it was a lot harder than I really imagined. And, um, I think has given me, um, more of a perspective, definitely like open my eyes to understand just a little bit more of kind of the cost for our refugee friends that are coming here and coming through Greece, just how much they give up when they um, have to leave kind of war-torn, violent areas and try to mm. protect their kids and, and set up a good life for their kids in a new place. Yeah, so true. And so what has helped you in the midst of feeling like you're away from your community? Because, you know, I think about those of us listening to the podcast, we may be, even though we might not even be in another country, but we may be away from some deep community we had. How how have you um, kind of navigated that with the Lord? Well, this is a good question. I wish I could say every single day I just ran to him, you know, uh, but certainly mm-hmm. some days I just kind of uh, wallowed in my in my sorrow, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think uh, it has been really important for me to find Christian brothers and sisters, not necessarily people who work with our agency or our partners in our work, um, but really just friends who I know love God and love me and will remind me of his goodness and of his faithfulness and of his truth too. So um, Mm. That's been a really cool thing to see the Lord answer. I've had, you know, so many friends stateside praying for a community of, of sisters here. And honestly, in this this most recent lockdown that started in November, um, I have really found a couple of 
girlfriends who are also my neighbors. So they're within the range I'm allowed to travel in. And uh, we try to meet up and, and, you know, do whatever activities are allowed (laughs) together uh, during this time. But it's been really nice just, um, yeah, partnering and praying and encouraging other laborers who are here, Um, even though, you know, we aren't officially co-workers in an incapacity or anything like that, but really having that sense of friendship and community. So that's my prayer for other sisters right now that are also kind of feeling the the heaviness of this pandemic world and <laughs> the isolation yeah. of it all. And um, mm-hmm. I, I have seen the Lord answer this prayer in my life too, really to meet my needs with the specific friends that I needed right now. Oh, I love that. And for those of us listening, we will be praying for you to continue to feel God meeting that need for community. And and so tell us a little bit about the refugee um, crisis over in Athens and how you all are um, reaching into the lives of those, as you said, have fled their countries. And I, I can't imagine either. And I know I've spent some time in Athens and it is such a hard thing to grasp that someone would have to pick up their life and move to a place where they don't know the language and so many different cultural norms and that kind of thing. So tell us a little bit about your experience with reaching out to refugees. Yeah, I think the the biggest gift that I think um, I have been able to extend to some of my friends here has been um, just offering to listen to their story. So um, like you've mentioned, Laura, all of these families have escaped, you know, unimaginable violence, just um, Mm, mm. war-torn areas. And then even their journey to get to Greece, you know, they're passing through multiple countries. All of the movement is illegal. Uh, They're relying on smugglers, which are um, not necessarily upstanding people in the community. And so they are Mm. constantly at risk. Um, The women and the children especially are exploited so heavily, even just on the journey. And then when they arrive, Greece is, you know, absolutely over capacity on the number of refugees that are in country and that are on the islands. I think earlier this year, you may have seen something about um, the Moria fire. So Moria was this massive camp. It was built for 3,100 people, but there was, you know, over 20,000 people there at some points last year. And so it's always been overfilled and it's always been, you know, below sanitation standards and just a really dangerous place uh, for these families to be waiting. And, um, and then, you know, it finally boiled over and um, it was burned to the ground. And so then that left, you know, 13,000 people. Yeah. Just homeless on this Island and the strain on the Greek community as well. You know, um, that was a quiet Island town, you know, and it was very safe and um, you know, kind of off to itself. And now it's this kind of epicenter for, all of this trauma compounding and compounding. And so mm. to bring me back mm. to the answer I started with is um, I was expecting to see a lot of broken, hurting people who were surrounded with other people that would understand what they're going through and they could really offer care to one another. And actually mm. what I saw was, you know, the reality that when you are in trauma, you are so fragmented that you're not really able to empathize with someone else. And so even though their stories have so many commonalities because they are still in that fight or flight mode, um, Mm -hmm. they're not really able to care for one another's stories. And so 
I don't know if I've done really anything valuable beyond just sitting with some of these sisters and hearing their story and letting them just grieve the losses that they have um, walked through and, and grieve the brokenness in their world and in their life um, and their, their worries and their fears for their children. And they are in a total waiting game when they're in Greece. Um, refugees really aren't able to resettle here long-term. It's a really long process and there's just limited resources here. So they're just in this temporary holding pattern while they wait for documents. And, you know, that could take anywhere from six months to a few years. And during that time, they have inconsistent housing. Their kids may or may not be enrolled in school, depending on where they are. They may be living inside of a refugee camp. They may be living at a park outside in a tent. They may be living, um, you know, at some variety, some combination of both of those things while they're in Athens um, waiting to be able to move on into Western Europe. So we've kind of described this movement, this flow of people as an hourglass where we're seeing people um, kind of at the top of the hourglass, um, people from all of these different nations, a lot of it within Central Asia, the Middle East that are getting, um, that are all pushing to come westward because of the conflict and violence in their areas and then they're getting bottlenecked in Greece. And then specifically in Athens is really where the waiting game is. And then we have about three to 12 months with them in this middle of the hourglass part. And, mm. um, and then usually by the time, by the end of that period, they have either found a smuggler to take them into Western Europe or their paperwork has come through and they're moving on um, to the place that they're being resettled. And so, that's kind of this bottom of the hourglass. And it really is, it's just across the world. So a lot of it is Western mm -hmm. Europe, but it, mm -hmm. you know, we even know about a few uh, Pakistani friends who have ended up in Panama, you know, so it's, oh, wow. it really, it could be anywhere. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's a very interesting time to be in Athens because we're really meeting the world, you know, that the nations are coming to us. And, and these are a lot of um, areas that are what, I think we would call restricted access where it's just very difficult for um, missionaries or Christian workers to be able to even enter those countries to do any gospel work, any evangelism, any discipleship there. And mm -hmm. now they're coming to us in kind of this open context and they're very vulnerable here and they're not working. You know, Greece's economy mm -hmm. is so depressed. And so certainly the refugees coming in are very, it's very difficult for any of them to get any sort of work. So they are really just mm -hmm. sitting around and waiting. Um, mm -hmm. But what we're finding is as they're coming through the islands, so the trajectory is you come from Central Asia, usually you come through Turkey, and then you wait on an island for a little while, then you come into Athens, and then you go out into Western Europe. So Athens is kind of the last waiting mm -hmm. game stop before you move into your next place where hopefully you will resettle. Mm -hmm. And um, as they come along this journey, they're meeting um, volunteers and Christian workers on the islands who are just sitting with them, praying with them, meeting their immediate needs, getting clothes for their children, helping to provide food. Um, a lot of Christian agencies are actually helping to run some of these camps on the island. And so by the time we're meeting people, it really feels like the ground has been tilled and the, the seeds have been watered and there's this desire for growth and for understanding. And so um, we're, we're at, I think we're at a really exciting phase of a lot of these Muslim background believers, um, story, because oftentimes they're being baptized in Athens, um, and they're interested in discipleship. And so I think that is our biggest need 
in Athens is we need people who are willing to disciple new believers and walk with them and know that they will be basically being sent out, being commissioned out of Athens to somewhere else to live among their own people and mm-hmm. um, in a new community. And they will be effective missionaries there if they are being fed and, and shored up here in Athens before they're sent out. So true. And I've seen that, um, what you're saying, the heartbreak of the family who's had to flee their country because of violence or persecution and then being able to come to a place and feeling traumatized. And, and like you're saying, I love that, that there's not a lot of care they can give to each other because trauma is so um, comprehensive on the person's mind and, um, and on their emotions. And, where, and I think that for me, I know one of the reasons why I went to Athens the first time, this was about five years ago, to serve the refugee crisis is because I had taken a class where it's called um, a missions class. And the professor said that the scattering of people throughout the history God has used to bring the gospel to people that couldn't or didn't have access to it before. And Mm -hmm. so like what you're saying, the scattering of people from the Middle East is bringing the gospel to people that didn't have it before. And then they're taking it as, you know, to other places. And I love how you said among their own people, they can then share the gospel. So even though there's so much tragedy out of this, God is bringing hope and truth and, and the fulfillment of the great commission. Absolutely. And I, I think you're doing such a valuable work sitting with those that you, God puts you in touch with and just listening to their story. I think of how we need a witness to our life. And that's one of the things with sacred story that we value so much is that our stories are, um, are not told in a vacuum. We, we need someone to witness to our story and be there with us in it. So I think that mm-hmm. what a gift you're giving each person that you sit with and listen and empathize. And, uh, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. So I know that that is, has a measurable value. Wow. And <laughs> I think, I think that I know you, cause I've spent some time with you. So you are, I would share my story with you in a heartbeat. And I know God's put that in you, the ability to, for people to feel comfortable, um, in your presence. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the barriers though. I know the people who are fleeing have come mostly from Muslim backgrounds. So what are the barriers that people from this background have that you've seen when it comes to embracing faith in Christ? Yeah. Well, thank you for encouraging me. That is really means so much to me, Laura, especially coming from you. So um, yeah, it is, it is a joy to walk with women and their stories. So, um, and I'm grateful for the work you're doing at Sacred Story. I think the biggest barrier that I that I see for a lot of the women that I'm walking with is the cost within their culture of turning away from being a Muslim. Because um, growing up in the States, there was, you know, there's a very clear separation, I think, between your day-to-day culture and then your religion, you know. Um, and in these Eastern cultures, the pattern I'm seeing is that it's really intertwined. And so to say that you're walking away from your Islamic faith is really to say that you're walking away from your entire community, from your family, um, being in contact with you, you know? Um, Mm. and so we even hear stories here of, uh, 
women or families that started to have um, Jesus dreams while they were in their original country. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. when they started reading the Bible in secret or started praying, their own family would, you know, report on them. And then they would be in danger because they were affiliated mm-hmm. with, you know, something that was haram, something heretical. Um, mm-hmm. And they were, you know, look, turning away from Islam. Even just the idea of that was enough for their own families to report them to the police. And so, so sad. yeah. And the, the structure of the family in, and, and, you know, of course, family is such an important value um, in the U.S. as well. But in these Eastern cultures is that your family is with you from, you know, the day you are born till the day you die. You know, your parents live in your house, <laughs> even when you're married and raising your kids. And, and there's this, you know, there's very like communal family living. Um, yes. And so to, to walk away from that is really hard. And especially, I think, as a refugee as well, you know, if you've come with any family with you, and then to say, you know, I will follow Jesus and give up the relationships with my family, you know, or, or, or that my, I'm following Jesus knowing that this will add strain, if not separate me from the few people, the few things I have left in this world. Um, that is an incredible sacrifice that I'm watching these women make, and they are doing it with this boldness and even this joy that I know is coming from the Lord and I think it makes the value of their church community, of other believers around them so much more. And, and that is a huge prayer I have too also, is just for community, for these new believers as they're going, you know, here in Athens, we're all kind of all in the same place. But then everybody's getting spread out throughout Western Europe or throughout the world. And so we're, they're landing maybe with a few other new believers, but that's not really guaranteed to them. So prayer for Mm. community, prayer Mm. for God to continue to bring believers around these young Mm -hmm. um, followers Mm -hmm. so that they can continue to grow. Um, And especially because they're just longing so much to be a part of a family. For sure. And yes, that is a high cost of feeling like you're going to be estranged from your family for having a certain belief system and like you said, it's not just estrangement, it's the family can actually go after the the member who is, you know, departing from, from the mm-hmm. Muslim way. And so I, we don't understand that in the Western world. And I think about the verse where Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to, you know, separate sometimes family members from each other. And, and what a hard thing that we just can't wrap our minds around in this part of the world, but that there are brothers and sisters who are counting the cost and they are following Jesus. Yeah. So speaking of brothers and sisters following Jesus from Muslim backgrounds, can you share a story confidentially of someone who you've seen come to faith? Yes, I would love to. Um, So I want to tell you a story about our friend Abdul and he is from Somalia. And so Somalia is the number two most dangerous place to follow Jesus in the world. Um, And so I personally have never heard any stories about, um, about a Somali Muslim becoming a Christian um, from, from any other Christian workers here. And so um, one day uh, my husband was out uh, sharing the gospel and, and they were, they were just doing kind of a evangelism sort of thing in a park. It was very casual. There were conversations and, 
Um, and they were actually talking with um, a few other people from, from different countries. There were no other Somalians around, anything like that. And somehow um, Aaron felt the spirit just lead him to turn and look another way. And uh, the Somali man and another friend walked up to him and they you know, they were whispering and then they tried to get Andrew's number and they were like, we're being watched right now, but I really want to meet with you later. And so, you know, we'd only been in the country a few months. Um, yeah. we, we didn't come here to specifically work with um, any Somali people. We don't speak Somali. Um, and so uh, the next day, uh, Aaron was able to meet with, uh, with, with this guy. And he said, when I, um, when he was in Somalia, he had survived at least two different car bombing incidents and had, you know, massive damage to his body, required mm. multiple surgeries, you know, still was walking around mm. with, you know, not only scars, but even just kind of these festering wounds. Um, and so, uh, you, you know, he clearly needed medical help, you know, you could tell. Mm. And he said that when uh, he originally came through the island and then he ended up in Athens. And so when he was on the island, he had met a doctor and this mm. doctor had provided so many services for him, but also after the, the surgeries would even call and check on him and pray for him and ask him how she could be praying more and helped him to find resources when he needed it and really just met his, you know, kind of initial needs and really cared for him. And uh, he just had such respect for her. And he said the whole time, you know, while in Somalia, while in the camp, none of his, uh, none of the other Somali community was helping him. Um, only mm. this, oh. this Christian doctor was. And so mm. he met in secret with Aaron and he, he shared this. And then, you know, through some different translation apps and all this stuff, they, they talked through the story of the gospel because he was interested to know more. And then that very same day, he said, I believe this and I want to get baptized. And so Aaron called up another friend and they uh, went to Aww. his house. Um, this brother Abdul got baptized in a bathtub. And um, that's great. Yeah. And then I've they, seen some of those happen. They're so special. Yes. And so I, I don't know if I've ever been a part of or witnessed to so many baptisms in my life until I came to Athens. So it's a very <laughs> exciting time to be here. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, so Abdul was baptized. Uh, they got to disciple him probably for about four or five months before he was able to um, move on into Western Europe. And um, since he's been there, they were actually able to find a couple other Somali believers in the area he's in. And so he oh, wow. is in That's community funny. with other believers. He is continuing to walk with the Lord and grow with him. And so this is, I think, like our hope and our dream and really, I think, um, the vision that God has given us that we get this huge privilege to kind of walk with these infant young Christians. And then we have this responsibility, I think, to really, as we're passing them off to this next place, wherever it is that we are looking for other believers who can be connected with them so that they don't just um, come to know the Lord and then are just on their own, but rather that they continue growing mm -hmm. in the family mm -hmm. of God. So yeah, mm -hmm. we're so excited about what God is doing here. Absolutely. I love your passion and I'm excited <laughs> with you. I want to go back. <laughs> yeah, we want you to come. Okay, so that's so special when you hear an individual story because you think about, yes, people are coming to faith. They are having dreams and visions about Jesus, some, you know, and then the message comes to them. And uh, But this Somali guy, Abdul, 
what a special um, story of a brother coming to faith and that God used you all for that divine appointment and (laughs) one that you wouldn't have expected. (laughs) Absolutely not. I will say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I think one of, you know, Aaron and I looked back on that story and, um, you know, we were trying to figure out what is going on, Lord, you know, you brought us here and this is so far beyond what we ever thought we would get to see or witness in this place. And, um, and, and we realized that actually that same weekend that that happened was the very end of a week in the summertime. And so we actually had two different churches connected with us in Houston, who were doing a VBS and there happened to be a VBS theme about Paul's journeys, specifically about Paul in Athens. And so the whole week was about Athens. And so they asked to partner with us. And so we had, you know, I think about 600 plus elementary age kids praying for us all week long. Oh, that's very cool. Yes. And so, I mean, I just get chills thinking about this, the power of prayer and even the prayer of children, right? Especially the prayer of children, these faithful prayers, asking for God to do miracles in Athens. And then we get the privilege to just witness what God is doing Mm -hmm. here. Mm So yeah, thanks for letting me share that. That is amazing. And yes, that God uses all of us in his mission. And so as we pray, as we go, and then some people say give, and then others say send, like we can even send people in our midst by encouraging them to go. We can give to what God's doing, you know, in different harvest fields and, and we can go and pray. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your COVID world though, because we know the world's been turned upside down and that in Greece is not exempt from that. So how has ministry and life changed for you? Um, great question. Uh, obviously, just like everyone else, it's a lot of Zoom. So we are online with a lot of our friends. Um, I wish and, I would have had stock in Zoom. Yeah, right. <laughs> I I wish I, I wish God had showed me that before, but He didn't. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah. So we're we're on Zoom a lot. Um, we have a weekly um, fellowship with some of the believers that we're discipling. Um, here, we are primarily focused on working among Afghans and Iranians, so out of Central Asia. And um, so we're working on language and all of that as well. Um, and so we have a weekly fellowship with um, all of these families that have started gathering. We were having a, a small church gathering outside in a park in Athens, which was really nice uh, during the kind of open season of 2020. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. were spread out picnic blanket style and um, and so that was really nice. And so now we're back on Zoom with that. And then we have a couple other meetings with some of the key Iranian and Afghan leaders who are really faithfully discipling and caring for the families within that community. And so I think that's the the bulk of, of what we're doing is that. And then a few other opportunities where um, I'm connected with, um, we have been connected with this wonderful Filipino church here in Athens. And so the Filipino community primarily works as, um, you know, housekeepers and nannies and um, domestic workers for the wealthier Greek families. And so they have access to um, some of the the most wealthy Greek families here. And so even like wives of politicians, very high up Greek politicians have become believers because of the faithful testimony of these Filipino houseworkers who have helped them raise their children and cared for them. Yeah. So it's been so cool. So um, in being in connection with them, um, 
I'm a part of, I'm leading their young adult Bible study. And then there's a few other opportunities with some of the women as well. And so it's primarily with Central Asians, but then also we've, you know, there's so many different people groups present in Athens right now. It's a real Mm -hmm. mixing pot. Um, And so, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, it's just on Zoom. A lot of Zoom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then you were telling me that y'all, Y'all, in order to go out, you have certain sort of categories that you can go out for with the government. Yeah, so we are really not allowed to be outside of our homes without government permission. So if you have, um, there's a few office jobs that are allowed to be open and they have a special letter from the government, but then everyone else is just supposed to be inside and we have to send in a text message um, with there's six approved reasons to leave. So you send in one of those six reasons, your name, and then your address. And so you should really be within a certain radius of your home. Um, those reasons are like for the pharmacy or for the grocery store. And so um, I try to go out at least once every day, but um, they are giving I out bet. fines. So uh, I think it's like That's 300 fine. euros now if you're caught outside oh. for not a real reason or something. And you need to travel with, I, I need to carry my passport and my residency card with me everywhere that I go. And so, um, wow. yeah. It's, 300 it, euros. That's quite a bit. Right? So so everybody's trying to be a little bit careful. Um, but yeah, there's, it, it definitely, um, it feels different here than, uh, you know, what my family is doing in the States, you know, they're trying to be careful, but you know, it doesn't feel as restrictive. So, um, right. Right. You got to check in before you leave. I know that I remember one of my favorite things in Athens is just the history and the beauty of the city. And then in in the way that the history is laid out in places, but also I love the underground, the way you can travel around. And so I'm thinking there's not many people right on the, um, in taking the underground these days. That's true. I think there are a lot of police in all the stations, though. So, um, so I have not been on public transportation in a few months, um, which is it makes it again kind of hard to get around the city. We don't have a vehicle, um, and so normally it's not a big deal at all. You know, like a normal day in Athens is great. You can zip around on the metro or the buses. I know. I know. Um, That's what I'm used to. Yeah. So now, I mean, the other day we went to go, uh, kind of undercover visit one of these Iranian families that we've been walking with and they're key leaders in this group. And um, we walked about two miles to their house and it was about a third of the way around Athens. It felt like to me, you know, even on the map, it was a pretty right. far distance. <laughs> so um, yeah. Wow. You're getting your exercise in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which which exactly. you do that even if you take the underground, because you, you, you have to always walk to it. And I do love that about Athens as well, because I end up getting like 10,000 steps in in a day. And I'm like, I'm, I have to work so hard in the United States to get these steps in. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah, I just drove everywhere in Houston. And so now yeah. I, I yeah. get to really walk around and, and enjoy the city in a different way. So it's nice. I know. I do enjoy that, too. And I'm glad that you're enjoying that. Okay, so what would you say is the blessing that's been released in your life from sharing your story of uh, how God's working to bring you to Athens and, and telling people the story of what he's doing in y'all's lives as you trust him? But what blessing has been released as you've shared what God is doing in and through your life? Okay. Um, this is a really good question. I, um, I like that you think the questions are good. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm hearing you say them out loud, it's like, oh my gosh, I have so many answers I want to give. And this is so deep and rich. And, um, well, I think for myself, it has really opened, 
my perspective on who God uses and how God uses them. And so I think before, you know, when I was younger, when I would hear missionaries talk or hear them share their stories, I would think, oh my gosh, this is such a holy and wise and incredible woman or man, you know, and I just, I had them up on this pedestal and really thought, mm. wow, this is such an exemplary person. And now that I'm a missionary, it's very clear that <laughs> missionaries are just people and, um, and, mm. and myself, especially, you know, I'm, mm. I, uh, have learned so much about my own pride and even understanding like what a privilege I have to just be a part of this, that God would mm. call me his daughter and allow me to work in his harvest and, and share in the joy of seeing people come to know him and love him and walk with him mm. for the rest of their days. Like um, it's incredibly humbling from this position. And then also gives me just this excitement to encourage my other sisters and brothers as well to just step into this calling. If you feel the Lord inviting you to serve in his field, whether it be in your own city or somewhere around the world, you know, uh, I encourage you to just leap fully into that um, because no one is no one is qualified for this job, um, but certainly um, God is with every person that he has called into this work, you know? So true. So, yeah. And then I think even in, um, in our own family, I have seen, um, it has really strengthened the relationships I have with my, my own parents and brothers, um, but even with my in-laws and, and getting to see them, you know, they were looking for a church home uh, in their new neighborhood for a while. And then actually uh, in this last year started hosting a couple of people at their home, just doing a simple Bible study. Um, they bought the books, you know, at Lifeway, and then they just started walking through that with them. And then now they are actually considering starting a, a house church where they're getting together with a few people and doing church, you know, online, but together. And really they both have such gifts to care for other believers and to really minister to other believers and to see mm. them just confidently in obedience, serving their community um, in kind of a weird time to even be in church, you know, mm -hmm. um, but to mm -hmm. find ways to really worship together and to care for one another uh, I am so encouraged and even challenged by their boldness and their faithfulness um, to do mm. this. So, yeah, and their humility. So, anyway, mm -hmm. yeah, it's wow, been really cool wonderful. to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that you've given us some things we can pray for, the new believers and their discipleship, and that they will continue to grow in the faith and find others where they can belong in the family of God and, and be vessels to reach out. And then your story of community for yourself and for feeling at times alone while your community is here in, in Houston. Is there any other ways we can pray for you? Yeah. Um can you be praying for kind of these key leaders here with us? Um, a few of them have actually lost um, parents uh, to COVID, um, but of course are in a different country, cannot be there for the burial, um, cannot be there to grieve with family. And so can you just pray for some of those, uh, just for God's comfort to come in, in supernatural ways for our partners here um, mm -hmm. and, and pray for wisdom uh, for us, that we would know how to continue to walk with them and, and pour into them and encourage them um, mm -hmm. as they are caring for so many families here. Uh, yeah. For yeah, sure. Yes, we will remember that in prayer. That is really tough to have the loss and then the loss without being able to 
be in close proximity uh, to people, you know, to grieve and to celebrate the life of someone. That's, yeah, that's so hard. So, but thank you for sharing those prayer requests and thank you for yeah. sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you for, um, for letting me. This has been really lovely. Thank you. I just love the work that you, Stephanie, are doing and alongside Aaron and y'all both are really taking God up on his word that the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few, but to ask the Lord the harvest to send out labors into his harvest field. And so I'd like to just ask all of those listening to pray for labors into the harvest. And that could be the harvest right next, right near us in our communities. It can be perhaps labors being sent to a harvest that's that they wouldn't have thought about like um like you all you you didn't know that Athens was on God's heart for you but either way that we would all be praying since the harvest is plentiful that God will show us how to be part of his harvest and do labors so I just am so grateful for you all laboring and uh thank you for spending this time Stephanie thank you so much Laura